Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership podcast series. This is aimed for you aspiring leaders, whatever level you're at, whether you're beginning out in your careers as managers and leaders, whether you're in middle ranking roles, or whether you're CEOs and chairman of boards, there's always something we can all learn. And it's particularly the skills, stories, tips and techniques that you can pass on to those you lead and your teams. Hi, my name is Martin Wilson. I'm CEO of Digital Identity Net. Uh, it's a company that aims to make the internet a safer place by connecting all corporates to all banks for the benefit of all consumers. Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership Series. And I'm going to hand you over to Jonathan Bowman Perks. Thank you very much indeed, Martin. And Martin, it's uh, lovely to have been working with you for the last two years and seen how you've transformed and turned around Digital Identity Net. Um, just tell people a bit more, I mean, because this, this whole area of the internet, for some, it's a very complex area to understand, but we've got all this problem of um, trolls, people you know, sending to anybody, whether they be famous or just personally to people, emails that really destroy them. I mean, literally destroy their confidence and their business and their life. And you, no one knows who they are. They can hide behind something. The best, the best description I've heard of this uh, was only a few months ago, working with our brand agency. And somebody said, you know, when you're working on the internet, you're working online, it never, it doesn't, it never feels quite right. There's always something at the back of your mind that there's always a risk that somebody's recording your keystrokes or somebody can see through the camera on your laptop or there's always the risk that the person that you're interacting with isn't a legitimate uh, person and is, as you've already alluded to, trying to create some uh, scam or other. There's always a risk that your personal details will be stolen and uh, sold on or abused or exploited mm. in some way. Um, and I guess that over the last two years, that's become very much more prevalent as more and more of us are using uh, the internet more because of the circumstance we've seen ourselves in over the last couple of years. Mm. People have become more aware of it, which is a good thing. People have become more aware of the risks of working online and of the kind of um, abuse that you can see um, as a consequence of working online. Yeah, um, and, and actually you talk about abuse, which triggers for me a thought that it, it, Lee, who you know, who works with you as well, my wife, um, you know, she set up a charity, uh, the Inspiring Leadership Trust, which is to help abused girls and women, uh, modern day slavery, trafficking, mental health issues. And they get, uh, and they get groomed by people yes. who don't exist. And they're certainly not young girls who are their age of 16. There's some, some man who's trying to get them into a situation and often does. Um, so it really is becoming, we're seeing that much more prevalent. It's a, it's a real threat. So we desperately need a solution to this problem because no one's cracked it yet, have they really? Yeah. And, and so, so um, but let's, let, let, let me explain the macro and then I'll come back to, to, to your point, I think is probably the easiest way to do it. The ability to, when I, when I said in the introduction, you know, trying to make the internet a safer place. I'm not suggesting that digital identity net can cure all ills online, but if we can make a contribution to people's, an individual's sense of security when they're online, then we've, we've made, uh, you know, we've got a worthy cause and, it's, and, and uh, I would consider our job well done. Mm. And now that can be, just ensuring that you that that I know who you are and you know who I am and I'm confident that that, that, that that's a, a true connection. Um, or dealing with a uh, if you if, if you're a corporate organisation and you've got somebody making a um, a purchase, knowing that that is a genuine purchase and not a fraudulent transaction. Mm. Or if you're a if you're a bank, knowing that you can intercept payment fraud. And all and the and the root solution here is just to make sure that you can verify identities, the identities of the two parties that are interacting with each other. And that's what digital identity does. It enables that verification of the transaction. 
so that it is a, it is a seen to be a trusted and safe transaction. Okay, and everybody has confidence in that. Yeah, and I can explain how that all works in a minute. But to your particular point, imagine a world where when you're on social media, which is you know a hotbed for some awful abuse in all sorts of uh, different ways. Imagine if you could be sure that the person you're engaging with online is, is who they say they are. And imagine if you could eliminate the risk of the anonymous actor who sends the most horrendous abuse in the most horrendous directions and all sorts of subjects and unimaginable. But if we could eliminate that anonymous abuse, it's a good example, because we're not saying that, therefore, we would take all abuse off social media, but we could eliminate anonymous abuse. So, therefore, you reduce the, the, the overall challenge there. Um, and in so doing, you change, the, you change the, uh, the, the psychology of the people interacting on, on social media. So to your particular case, if there's grooming going on, parents or individuals themselves can say, well, look, why don't you only interact with people who verified their identity? Yeah. You can choose only to interact with people who verified their identity, and therefore you know who you're talking to. Our service ensures that there is no doubt about the identity of the person at the other end of the transaction. Yeah, okay? that's pretty good. And so eliminating an anonymous abuse on social media, it would make, make a massive step to make that whole environment a safer place. Brilliant. Brilliant. And, and look, congratulations on what you and the team are doing and the product you've developed and, and the, the way you, you, you intend to make a significant difference, a dint in the universe, as it were, in, in your own way. You're now a CEO. You're just about to celebrate your 60th birthday. Uh, congratulations. You've, you've had a lot of experience over the times you've been you know, head of IT, transformation at HP. You've done a whole variety of different roles in banking and in, in complex areas. You've been a CEO, a chief commercial officer, and now you're a CEO again. Um, what's shaped you as a man from a young lad when you were born and where you were born? Just tell us a bit about, in, in five, 10 minutes, a bit about your history and what shaped you to be the leader you are today with the values you, ha you have. Well, so I'll, I'll tell you, right, I have to go back in history. So I was born in a place called North Shields, which is on the mouth of the River Tyne. It's about seven or eight miles outside of Newcastle right on the River Tyne. Um, and um, I was born there and grew up in the next town down, a place called Whitley Bay, which uh, often gets a mention. It's uh, infamous or famous for some reason. Um, so I was born in the Northeast. Um, I was the youngest of six children. And um, of those six children, five, of the, uh, well, five of them were boys. I was the fifth boy. Um, and... Um, so from pretty much from birth and anybody who's the youngest in a family will appreciate that. I was in competition, mm. always in competition with my brothers for attention, for food at tea time, mm. um, to be allowed to play football with them, whatever. Yeah. Um, there was always that trying to keep up with, uh, with the older brothers syndrome. Um, and I often think that, um, well, obviously there's a bit of nature and there's a bit of nurture here, but I think if, the, if I look at the, the nurture side, I think that attempt as a youngster to keep up with the older boys, and they were, there was the, the next one is three years older, and when you're young, that's a big gap. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, <clears throat> that kind of competitive edge was put in instilled in me at a, at a very early age um because they were they were quite brutal as boys often are mm -hmm. um and so so i can i can definitely relate to to that um i've probably forgotten the rest of your question but so when you come to sort of say well you know how did you grow up where did you grow up that was that was a a, a key element to which meant when i think about my career and how i pursued my career i've I pursued my career as if it was a competition mm -hmm. and it's often just a competition with me. I wanted to get on. Mm -hmm. I wanted to achieve things. I wanted to deliver stuff, whatever, whatever job I was in, it was, 
it was it it, it always it's always had a target it's always had a goal in mind mm. um and I, and i do often think that it's kind of related back to to that young kid trying to chase his brothers and keep up with them on the football field yeah well i i relate being the youngest of three boys and and my middle brother sadly uh, died last year but he was four years older than me and then the eldest is, is six and so i i'm like you very competitive but also it's interesting in looking through your your varied and wide range of experiences you've had that when i look back i saw that you're in the dss the department of social security and one of my friends who worked there he said our job is to keep society secure because actually if people aren't paid there'll be riots and there'll be problems and he said when i work behind the cage paying people if they didn't get what they they wanted it could get very violent and he said, you know, so that's very interesting. And you, of course, began as a, in one of your earlier jobs as a fraud prevention officer. And here you are, full circle, now back trying to stop these fraudsters scamming people for money or for whatever uh, nefarious ends they have. So really interesting. And if we were to look at, in the whole of your life, a proudest moment for you and a darkest moment for you and what you learned from each of those experiences, begin with a proudest moment and then perhaps talk about a darkest moment in in life and, and in work? Proudest moment from a work point of view. I think that there's been quite a lot. I have to say that sounds awfully braggy. But there's, I suppose I think proudest would, would be a hard one to call um, because there's many, many peaks in the mountain range. So, so um, I could pick a number of them. I think the one that... Um, was one of the highest peaks was introducing the faster payment service into the UK, and the, and and again the story behind that was was uh, um, you know has a lot of kind of grit and determination in that. The so I, I've got a big a long was, background. Was that was that Bax? But it was it was by the time that happened, it was a company called Boca. Yeah. Um, and the story there was that I, I've been in payments for a long time, and the. Um, the payment system in the UK at that time was a bit of a laughing stock. It took three days to clear any payment um, back, back in those days. And we were the worst and slowest in Europe. Um, and eventually the regulators mandated to the banks that they would have to improve the payment service. That was the, that was the direction, just improve the speed of clearing in, the, in, in payments. There was a there was a, a number of enlightened people, not many, but a number of enlightened people who said, okay, rather than just improve and get to the to par with everybody else, why don't we take a leap forward and get ahead of, ahead of everybody else and introduce the first real-time payment system in in the world um, for, for high volume payments. This is low value, high volume payments. So leapfrogging any any other um service that was available anywhere in the world um, and leading the team that won the bid to deliver that service mm. um, and against some pretty notable competition as well was uh, well was it was a big was a big moment and i suppose the reason why it, of course is because it, everybody uses it now mm. and that's yeah. that and it's not and it's nice to know. and everybody takes it for granted which is again really nice to know yeah, well, um, let, so you, let, let's hope that Digital Identity Net can do the same thing on on that um, making the internet more uh, safer place. Yeah, yeah, quite. And what about what about dark moment personal life, dark moment in work, and what you learned from both those? Um, I think what I learned from I think the end lesson is the same. Um. I'll do a bit of dark moment personal, which is, isn't particularly original because I'm, I'm sure many, many people have been through it and, I'm, and I know many people have been through far worse. But um, going through a divorce when I did many, many years ago um, was a, an incredibly difficult time um, and very dark period for ooh, probably best part of two years. Um, and the thing that lifted me out of that was um, was work going on a management development um, residential course for a week mm -hmm. and meeting and building a team of people um, 
that became very close and very mutually supportive. Understanding the value of team and understanding the value of being able to get things done with alongside people. Mm. Um, and that was the kind of jolt that I needed to just kind of pick myself up, dust myself down and start all over again. Mm. Um, and I guess in a work context, is again, not very original, but people can always pick that time. You know, um, I was telling, I was telling my team actually one where we seem to have success in our hands on developing a, a business proposition. And there's an all staff conference and I stood up in the all staff conference and listed 13 clients that had signed an MOU to join our service. Got a standing ovation. Everybody was chuffed to bits. They'd only signed the MOU though. None of the 13 went live with the service. And that was devastating. It was mm. devastating. And that's not in your current firm. That was in a previous. No, no, that's, this is way back. Um, and again, the, the, the lesson I learned from that, apart from dust yourself off and start all over again, was the power of the power of follow through. Don't mm. rest on your laurels. Make sure that when you go out to deliver something, it's not finished until it's absolutely finally delivered and the transactions are flowing through. The mm. service is live and the and and the and your clients are operational, fully operational. Yeah, um, very, very and, you wise. Know, to use the cricket and analogy, you know, you can you can hit the ball, but you can hit the ball far if you do if you know how to follow through when with the bat. Beautifully and, and, put. And that's a good that's a that's a good lesson in uh, yeah in anybody's career. Follow through. No, I really like that one, and and I've seen it in even if it. Um, when I worked with the Department of Work and Pensions for PricewaterhouseCoopers, and um, you know, uh, it, it may have been a good, a good process of whatever they had. That the, the software was quite exciting and new, but the people didn't buy into it, and and, and they found ways of sabotaging it and and mm. stopping it happen. So so yeah, follow through in many ways, not just the technology, but with the people. Get the people bought into it, and then thank you for that, Martin. And then. Uh, what piece of advice would you have given the younger Martin Wilson age, say 16, if you'd gone back to the future and said, lad, this matters, but this doesn't, what would you, what advice would you give to a young person these days based on your experience? Um, that's a tough one. I, I, and I guess it's kind of a reflection on who I am and my career. What I always tell my boys is of course, work hard and be successful in your career, but make sure that you put happiness first. Mm. And um, I think I would condense that down to um, make sure that you manage your work-life balance. Mm. And that's not, that's not to say that you don't go the extra mile. It's not to say that you don't put your shoulder to the wheel when, the, when, when it's needed. It is to say, though, that you don't want to be looking back and saying, I wish I'd spent more time with the kids. I wish I'd spent more time doing something else, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and it can, it can, um, uncontrolled ambition can run away with you. And then the price you pay can be quite, can be quite high. So you've, you've just got to be able to balance that. Yeah, um, very, very true. No, and, and I, I resonate with that myself in, in my own, marriage failure there was many reasons for it but I think one of them was I was too caught up in my career and not focused enough on the relationship I, I gave a lot of time to the children but I think I could have I could have got the relationship better and so I think that's a very wise bit of bit of advice about um getting that that balance. I would I would say John I'll, I'll emphasize though that's not to say that you can't do both you can no. do both and you can be seen to be going the extra mile and you can go the extra mile but you can do that on both sides of the equation so if you're spending a lot of time with your work and pursuing your career and, and it's a highly demanding job that you're in, that's fine. That's immensely rewarding in and of itself. Make sure you do the same on the other side of the equation as well, though. Yes. Not, you don't do one at the expense of the other. That's, that's my point. Correct. You, you take yourself to work from home and you take um, vice versa. And, and I think it's important to get that. that. So you won't ever get balance in work and life. You never have equal amounts, but it, it's that work non-work balance so, so you are you know all work and no play makes jack a dull boy as they say and mm. you've got to, got to get both right 
very true. Let's go around the Inspiring Leadership Compass. Quick fire sort of questions, Martin, really from, from your experience. Um, starting with MQ, with the, the, the sort of true North Compass, your, your values, your upbringing. What would you say? Um, I remember you showed me in your room there. You've got all the, the badges of the different mining pits. And, 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 and I thought it was really quite impressive, the collage of that. Why does that matter? And what are your foundational three values? Um, I don't know whether I could risk showing it. It's yeah, just you on, can. You on can. You shoulder. can. Yeah, swing it around. I want to swing it. I won't get in close. Yeah, that's a but, huge collection. Um, yeah. So this—that's a collection. I came across that poster, and, and apologies to anybody watching. You just got a blurred image there, but it's a—it's a picture of the badges from all of the mining communities um, in 1985. Yeah. Um, and it's a collection of all of the pits, the badges from the pits that were closed between 1985 and 1995. Now, um, I haven't actually ever counted them, but there's a lot of them, as you probably saw. Mm. Now, I'm not going to get too political on that, on this, but it does trigger a value, que the value question. Whether, whether, Whatever your political views of the uh, miners' strike and the Thatcher era, the thing that hurt me and still hurts me is not what was done, but the way it was done. Mm. Many of those communities have never recovered. Many of those communities are still in strife even now because the industry and their lifeline and their community was torn out of the heart of the heart of them but no remedial action was taken no recovery plan no alternative was uh, accompanied the action um and as i say many many communities just never recovered from from that mm. time mm. so um so if you if you think about if you if you convert that to what what's that got to do with my values my my values are around um, integrity and trust and making sure that you um, pay good regard to those around you or the community and not and not that you're just in it for yourself yeah and that was an era which changed society hugely in fact um there was a phrase, there is no such thing as society, wasn't there, used at that mm. time. Mm. Um, and people became more selfish mm. and more self-orientated. And if they weren't totally selfish, it was only looking after their immediate family and not thinking in term, in the sense of community. Yeah. Um, and um, so, that, so that's, a, that's a key value. You just recently celebrated becoming a B Corporation. Yeah. And that's important. Do you want to just explain to people what it, what it, why that's important to you is in disidentifying it? Yeah. Well, it, 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 it kind of the, the whole thing, you know, travels through because what we're, what we're trying to establish in Digital Identity Net is that sense of community. We're, we're providing a solution that is for the benefit of UK citizens to keep them safer when working online. It's a community play. Mm. And um, the, the company was very much founded with a social purpose um, to, to build a public service with, um, with private investment, okay? The first kind of privately funded public utility, if you like. Mm. Um, because when safety, safety online is, is too important just to be purely driven by uh, the profit margin. Mm. Um, and so as part of building our product and service, we also need to build a company that is known for its integrity and it's known for its trust and known for its social purpose as well. Mm. Because we're dealing with people's personal data. So we've got to have that kind of, that's got to be our reputation too. We've mm. got to be trusted in order to be able to enable this solution to work. Um, and so being a B Corp was an essential component of that. And a B, a B Corp really is um, a, a commitment, if you like, from, a, from the company that says they will work to the best ethical standards. 
whether that's in environment or whether that's with their staff or whether that's attitudes towards uh, equality and diversity or to their customers, you know, we work to the highest levels um, of, of ethical standards and we have the processes and audit trail to prove that we do. Yeah. Um, and so therefore we have to, you have to be accredited to be a B Corp. It's not just, it's not just words. You have to be seen to be practicing that. Yeah. And, and you're very lucky to have Richard Little as your chairman. Tell us a bit about your connection with Richard and why he, he's back to you all. Uh, oh, Richard's an amazing person. I, I, I would certainly describe us as chalk and cheese. We've had very, very different backgrounds and we've got very different personalities and complement each other very well. Um, Richard, I describe Richard as a serially successful um, investor, angel mm. investor. Mm. Um, his, his success rate is phenomenal. Um, he's been the founder invent, investor in many, many companies, most latterly Form 3 and Thought Machine, which has just gone unicorn recently. Um, and I've kind of known him well, I've known him for the best part of 20 years. Mm. And um, we used to just meet for dinner and a chat. He always tried to encourage me away from big corporate into startups and more entrepreneurial business. And I was too worried about me mortgage and bringing up the kids. So um, they eventually came an opportunity um, where he said, can you just have a, have a look at this business and see how, how it works and let me know what you think. And so I did, and I came back and I said, this is fantastic. We need to get involved. Um, and um, he, like I say, we're opposites because he's very, he's got a high risk appetite. Mm -hmm. um, he's an angel investor, so you have to have, that's what you, you have to be born with that gene. Um, but he's got a good nose for good business as mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. And I absolutely trust him implicitly. If he's, if he's confident about the direction we're going, then you know I'm I'm happy to say I'm happy to trust his judgment because he's been there so many times before. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think what he he looks in me is that more grounded, delivery focus person. Yeah. Um, he calls me dour because he probably <laughs> thinks I'm unadventurous, whereas he is very high. He's he's uh, I'm risk averse, where he's got a high appetite for risk, that's, and therefore we compliment. That's a good good combination. And and that leads me on to the next one uh, of the eight components, PQ, meaning and purpose. Um, why why are you doing what you're doing now? Uh, and why have you done the kind of different roles that you've done, which have all led you to this in the sort of payments and transformation and IT? Uh, you know, why, why do you do that? I love delivering stuff, mm. ultimately. When somebody asks me, describe your career, I say sometimes, I often say I'm involved in business transformation and, and that probably is at the macro level what I've been involved with my time in the um, DSS it started as fraud officer but I very quickly went into um, large systems development mm. um, as of an age where the whole of the DSS was being computerized for the first time which again gives me age away um, and that sense of purpose and the drive to deliver and the deadlines and targets that we had to achieve um and in the end you you built something and you made a difference mm. um and being in a being in a role where you deliver stuff and you make a difference is is hugely rewarding mm. no, um and I, I do a, i do a fair amount of i not say mountain climbing i do a lot of fell walking in the in the lake district where i live um and I use this analogy a lot. When you've got to the top of a, a range and you can look back on what you've done so far and the and the hills that you've already climbed, it's it's immensely rewarding. Mm. And then fires you on to do the next one and the next one. Yeah. Once I'm up, I don't want to come down. <laughs> well, I also have enjoyed uh, over the years doing that mountain marathons, crazy things I did in Cyprus and stuff like that. But it, it takes me nicely on to the next one, which is health quotient, uh, health and well-being, mental, physical, living in the in the uh, in the lakes, which is a, a, a happy place for me. Um, uh, it, it's so nice to hear that. So what are you doing as you approach your 60th birthday um, very shortly? 
um, to keep yourself physically fit and also mentally fit because mental health problems abound for many people and many organizations, particularly in the third year of the pandemic that we're going into? Mm. Um, physical fitness, I suppose I've already alluded to. Um, I've been climbing the hills in the Lake District since the age of eight. Um, and um, in fact, the first time I climbed Helvellyn uh, was age eight. Wow. Um, and the first time I climbed it on my own was two weeks later. Um, so I've been um, climbing the hills and that is what I love most of all. And it also is the ultimate for my mental health. Mm. Um, I would rather, I'd rather be on the fells on my own. And that's including with, without even the dogs. They're not listening at the moment, but um, you know, just on my own. But if somebody asked me after five or six hours of being on the fells, what did I think about? I wouldn't be able to tell them. Mm. And just be able to just free your mind and just walk and be out there and enjoy and have nothing in particular to think about is immensely um, healthy. I haven't had a chance to do much of that of in recent years. Um, and again, that's kind of what would you tell yourself? You'd tell yourself to make sure you made time to keep fit and, you know, the um, the pandemic helped. I lost three and a half stone during the pandemic. Wow! Um, because what it during lockdown, what lockdown give you the opportunity to do is build a routine that suited your own personal goals, not fitted in with the regime of the business. Mm-hmm. And so, being able to schedule in time to go for long walks, take the dogs out, do exercise. Um, and then make sure that you kept the discipline not to just pile it on with chocolates mm. um, was, was a way of uh, just, you know, getting back to proper health and, uh, and taking some of, some of the pounds away. So here, here's the challenge. When, when you plan the next team offsite, I will join you in the Lake Districts and let, let's get the team and Lee will come as well and we'll bring Archie and we'll go and do some of the places you like. Not try and kill everybody, but just... Give them an experience of just how fantastic the Lake District is. So, how about doing that sometime in? Sounds like a plan. I'm, I'm delighted. I love my team, and I think they'd all be up for it. Yeah. Um, and again, one of the things about taking a group of people is that it does teach you this a sense of responsibility to others because you have to you have to stay together. Mm-hmm. You can't have three a mile ahead and three a mile behind, and then call yourself a group. No, you've got to be within calling distance of each other um and that changes people's mindset quite very readily and easily very good much plan so. yeah no and in fact it reminds me you talk about you going up at helvel in aged eight I, I think i must have been about maybe i was 12 when i i ran with some friends from halifax up ben nevis uh, we, we'd been sailing on the coast um the father had a boat we sailed on the coast and he gave us i don't know five hours or something he said, you've got five hours, go as far as you can. Well, we ran up to the, the yeah, summit and back, and back down again. It was just nuts. Um, so lovely to hear that. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the lakes. Okay. Um, EQ, um, you know, you're in a world with uh, technology and, you know, systems problems and delivering big systems. It's not known for being brilliant at EQ, very good IQ and uh, analysis, but you have very good EQ. I've I've seen it, I've experienced in the way you handle challenges you have with individuals or people in the team who are in a difficult place. You've always been there for them and they've always appreciated that you sensed they were going through a difficult time and you cut them some slack. Very special. Not many can do that. How have you developed that? And, and what's your tip to people about developing good EQ to look after your team? Um, I think that was a, I think that was a lesson learned quite late on in my career. And I, and I think it probably reflects changes in management style in, in the, in the time that I was referring to before, when we were delivering large scale systems for the DSS, that was very much hundred percent delivery, hundred percent command and control to get the job done. Um, But over the years, I think there's been a lot more focus generally 
on ensuring that while you can still push and drive delivery, you can actually achieve a greater level of productivity by just being uh, being aware of how people react and acknowledging people react in different ways and respond to different things. And I guess if I, if I, if I picked one word, I'd probably say listening. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I went on a course a thousand years ago. It's only half a day or something. And it was called active listening. I'd never even heard of the phrase at the time. Um, and it was just somebody explaining and then getting you to practice what active listening was. Um, and it was a it was a great um, it was a great lesson. Um, and people kind of condense it and say you have two of these and one of them, you know, all that kind of thing. But actually, if you just say less and listen more, it it makes a huge difference in terms of what then happens up here for you, and then what comes out of here as mm-hmm. a result. And and that's kind of something that's developed over over my years is being able to listen. Assimilate what's being said, form an opinion or a direction as a result and say, right, okay, here's the deal. This is where we're going. This is what we should do. And it embraces the thoughts and opinions, views, contributions from many other sources, not just your own. Yeah. Uh, And I've seen that in the way that uh, you've absorbed the thinking environment where you want the innovation and the creativity and everybody gets their chance to speak and you don't assault each other's thinking and, and you live that one well. Uh, one of the things I've also noticed that you do better than other companies is you genuinely believe in diversity, equality, and inclusion, and you you want a diverse executive team, which you've achieved, uh, and you respect differences. Where, where does that come from, and and why is it so important in your opinion? Well, it comes from the same place as the uh, discussions we were having about the mining villages and things. It's 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 that sense of, um, you know recognizing that um first of all everybody's equal secondly everybody's got a contribution to make and everybody's contribution is very is very different and so if you can broaden from a commercial point of view if you can broaden the wealth and depth of the contributions then you're going to have a stronger and richer organization from a social point of view it is making sure that we don't fall down the thousands of uh, uh, traps around assumptions and mm. prejudices and even you know unconscious bias mm. um because that 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 limits the very um essence of a of an organization it limits the very essence of a of an individual so it's going to limit the essence of a of an organization and, and limit its ability to to be as rich as it can be so we so we've driven that hard um and found found techniques to make sure that we recruit the best from the widest mm. um uh to you know techniques such as um blind applications so that you you don't see things that unconsciously might prejudice you like you don't see the names of the applicants you don't see photographs you don't see things that give away um their, their gender or their backgrounds and you look at the the individual themselves on a, on an equal footing no matter where they're from mm, that's brilliant. Um, and every every everybody that's joined who's been through that process so it's it's an amazing amazingly enlightening process to go through uh, I haven't heard one single objection mm. to go through that process and the companies become richer for it yeah, it definitely has. Definitely has. It's lovely to see. Um, quick fire questions on resilience, brand and legacy, Martin. So resilience, you know, in the world you're in, you're always going to have setbacks. It's never going to work out. There's going to be problems. There's going to be faults. Uh, the software won't be quite right. The hardware won't be right. What's your one tip on on resilience and picking yourself back up when it's all gone horrendously wrong? Um, the tip on resilience is that well i'm gonna if i'm not careful i'm gonna give me top tip that i'm supposed Mm. to save till the end aren't i but um the thing about resilience you've got you you i think you do have to allow yourself i was going to say the opportunity to mourn so if something goes wrong 
you've got to allow yourself to swear, cry, sulk, throw a tantrum, you know, even if it's just for the rest of the day or something. You've got to allow that outlet. Um, but then turn that round and say, okay, so who's 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 gonna who's gonna get out of that then? Who's gonna get you out of that? Um because they're not gonna, you know, nobody's gonna, no one's gonna do it for you. You have to pick, you have to pick yourself. Mm, you have to one. pick yourself up. I, I was, I was talking to me, um, eldest son yesterday. It was his birthday yesterday, and uh, he was saying that we, we in our family seem to walk very fast. And I said, I wonder if that's come from my dad. My dad, when, when I was little, he didn't make any allowances for me, being six years old, walking alongside. He walked fast, and I had to run to keep up with him. Um, and, um, and it's kind of, you know, when it, when it comes to resilience, it's kind of, well, you, nobody's going to wait for you. Mm. So allow yourself time to have a rant and then you got to put your running shoes in, put your running shoes on and catch up again. That's just a, do it. that's a great story. Great story. Love it. Brand. Um, you've, uh, brand is, you know, uh, brand question, what people say about you when you're not in the room, it's your, you know, your brand, your reputation, your, your image. Um, what have you done to to get feedback through 360 and psychometrics or whatever to learn about yourself and and improve and learn? Um, funny enough, right from the start, right from very early on in my career, I always asked for um, feedback, um, and it was always 360. I used to do, and I still do from time to time, the stop start continue. Mm-hmm. What what three things do you want me to stop doing? What three things do you want me to start doing? What three things do you want me to continue doing? Um, that's always been very, first of all, it's very simple because you don't want to put undue burden on the individual. Um, but secondly, it's very in, informative. Um, and so, so doing, I used to do that a lot. I do it less so now because I think what I've done with my uh leadership teams for quite some time now is to and enable them to feel like they can speak freely Mm -hmm. um so our our meetings are our discussions at exact level are very open um and you know occasionally can be heated um knowing that they knowing that it's a safe environment to -hmm. express an opinion and also knowing, and this is my part of the bargain, is that it'll all be heard and then there will be a conclusion. Mm-hmm. One of the ailments that we often have is that we often shut down uh, disagreements. It's just not British, is it, to have an argument across the table? Um, and, and I don't know how many people actually like the phrase, we'll take it offline which in other words is let's kick the can down the road and hopefully nobody will bring it up again. Um, and I, I, I don't like the take it offline nonsense. Let's discuss the problem and we'll draw a conclusion. My side of the bargain is we'll draw a conclusion and we'll, we'll find a, you know, find a way forward. And if necessary, I'll make the decision. Yes, and I so- think that, and that's okay because that's, that's part of what being a leader is in the end, you have to make a decision. You have to make a call mm. and it's a judgment call. And sometimes it just falls to you however long you stay as the CEO of Digital Identity Net, when you eventually hand over or whatever you decide to do or go into, into real retirement, um, what would you like your legacy to be for the team you've built up and the organisation you're growing? How would you like to be remembered? I think from a, from a corporate point of view, from inside the company, um, one of the things I've loved about this job, I, I had the opportunity to establish the company pretty much from scratch which included defining the culture of the organization and the people that were in the company at the time we spent so we spent a fair amount of time actually uh talking and writing down the kind of organization that people would like to work in what are the Mm -hmm. values of the company what are the expectations that you have on your colleagues what expectations should they have on you um literally kind of writing down the ideal culture that that you'd want to work in um and then being able to define that and set that as the benchmark for the company and i'm, I'm delighted i had a couple of uh one-to-ones earlier today with people who were relatively new into the organization uh in fact they've been here a month 
And they both said, love it. Love the job, love the people, love the enthusiasm, love how everybody's helpful, love how everybody just wants to rally around and get the job done. Um, and, you know, our, our key values around trust and integrity and um, delivery um, and curiosity as well, finding, finding ways to make the company or the world a better place is mm. what we're about. Yeah. And also you've uh, successfully had this sort of office optional approach of, you know, work is an activity. It's not a time or a place. And so people have got work done and at times you've been together, but other times people have been very disparate, haven't they? Yeah. And, and that's based on trust. There's a, there's, a, there's a contract from day one where we, we allow people to choose how they work and we trust that they will work. And as long as they're, they've got to be available for their, for their colleagues and things like that, of course they do, and, you know, but they can choose how they work. The, uh, the other side of the contract is um, that, that, you know, they've got to be productive and they've got to um, meet the standards that are expected of them. Mm. Um, and just that, just placing that trust on the individual, um, first of all, is immensely empowering for them, but also from a, uh, company point of view you get you get an awful lot more out of the the individual because of it yeah i mean it's what i think some terms are owe results only work environment that you're, you're focused on the results and how they do it up to them as long as it has integrity and uh and that there's a healthy culture yeah. okay um, we're, we're down to the final couple of questions martin executive teams um and then we'll talk about a book and then we'll give you a two minute top tip um Executive teams, over the different jobs you've done over the years, you've uh, inherited individuals or sometimes teams that are toxic and you've had to turn them around. What would be your one tip to people listening uh, and watching uh, on how you turn around a, uh, a toxic team or a toxic individual, what you do with a toxic individual? Um, I think it's, it's stages. Um, I think there's a there's a discovery phase where um, you know you lose you use your listening skills and your EQ to to understand where the where the challenges are um, and therefore see if there's ways of exploring whether making adjustments would um, would make a difference. Um, I think there's another stage where you try and build the team so that the team have a sense of identity and a sense of duty towards each other. Um, and that, that often works. I'm, I, I tell you what, I'm a big fan of deliberately having team building exercises mm. because, it's a, because it's a conscious landmark in the development of an organization where you get people together, you acknowledge each other's strengths and um, differences and challenges and then you can address them together. The dynamic in a, in a group that goes through a deliberate stage like that is, is a very, it's a very marked difference when, they, when they've been through that. Um, and ultimately, though, um, there are times where you just have to address the problem. Um, and like so many other things, it gets worse if you dither. Somebody once said to me a few years ago now, by the time you you know you're experienced enough, Martin, you know when somebody's not going to make the grade. So deal with it. Yeah, yeah. That's, because there comes a point where you're not going to be able to improve it. So you just got to deal with it, and that's part of being a leader. You've got to you've got to make the tough decisions. You're not there to be Mister Popular all the time. You've got to make the tough decisions. That's a really good one. Yeah, it's 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 courage, moral and physical courage. Thank you for that, Martin. Uh, favorite book on leadership, and you said someone nicked your favorite book, or you've lent it to someone. They there's returned. a gap in me. There's a bookshelf just here, and there's a gap <laughs> where it was because I would have just reached it and gone. Mm. Um, not particularly original, but um, it doesn't make it any less powerful. Long Road to Freedom by Nelson Mandela. Yeah, love it. Um, why do Why do you be, like that one? Because, well, if you think about what we've been talking about, and and God's sake, don't ever think that I'm anywhere near the caliber of that individual but that resilience and determination and drive and 
personal integrity to go through, not just to go through what he went through, and he suffered far more than he ever describes in his book, but to come out of all of that and have and still have the big picture in mind and to still understand that actually um, revenge um, and uh, retribution were absolutely the wrong thing to do, whereas reconciliation and rebuild were absolutely the right thing to do. And, mm. and having the, the strength of character and the strength of purpose and the vision to be able to drive that message home across a nation who would have been well justified in revenge and retribution mm. uh, was was just was just an awesome thing to do, and yeah. and and, he, and his book describes it all very very in a very very civilized and mature way. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think it's beautiful the way you've drawn those key points out. Thank you. So, Amartya, would you, uh, for the final top tip, would you introduce yourself and your organisation uh, and, and then give your two-minute top tip? And we'll finish there. Okay. Hi, my name's Martin Wilson. I'm Chief Executive of Digital Identity Net. Uh, it's a company that aims to make the internet a safer place by connecting all corporates to all banks for the benefit of all consumers and all citizens. Um, my top tip is kind of in two parts. Um, Kipling, if you can keep your head uh, when all around are losing theirs and blaming it on you in a leadership context, if as a leader, one of the great skills that you have to develop is finding ways to get over through or round a problem and demonstrate leadership by taking an organization or a team over, round or through any problem that they might face, keeping your head when all around might be losing theirs. That's my top tip. Brilliant. Martin, thank you very much. Thank you for your candor, straight talking. You were the man I know you are and that others find inspiring. Thanks for being on the series. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Thanks, Jonathan. So now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed, what are you going to do next? If you want to get some more free material, go to my website, jonathanperks.com, or follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Bowman Perks. And there you can get access to my books, uh, Inspiring Leadership and Top Tips for Inspiring Leaders. But if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game, raising your performance, get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them. It's got to be people who want to be good to great, not people who you're trying to fire. And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch. Or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you.